Hello and welcome to Teaching Python. This is episode 89, and this week's episode is all about fintech and Python career paths. My name's Sean Tiber. I'm a coder who teaches. And my name's Kelly schuster Paredes, and I'm a teacher who codes. Kelly, a little bit hesitant there, like uh, uh, to jump right in. I, are you okay this week? Everything going all right? You know, it's going well. I'm just really excited to have one of my best, 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 best old time friends, old, old friend <laughs> on this show. <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, we had another friend from London. And this week we have another friend from London. I feel, I feel very international again. So, so very excited. Would you like to, would you like to introduce our mystery friend this week? Our Kelly? mystery friend. Yes. So uh, mystery friend is Xavier Depau. He is a fintech startup, and I have so much more to say about him in the middle bit, but he started his career at Merrill Lynch in London and fixed income. After 10 years, he was the CEO of a digital challenger bank. And then again, 10 years later, he went into a private bank with 75. Oh, $75 billion euro. Uh, yeah, I didn't know all this stuff about him. So, and then, and then in 2020, he went back and he's, a, he's an entrepreneur and he's starting up or has started up several fintechs and now is launching LendX, co-CEO of LendX. And I have no idea what he does really. So that's why we invited him on the show. Fintech. <laughs> <laughs> so welcome, Xavier. It's wonderful to have you. Thanks. It's great to be here. Well, we, we're going to jump right into the wins of the week so we can get on with the rest of the episode. But uh, Xavier, won't you share with us something good that's happened to you this week or something that you've made happen? God, there's, there's probably... Can I, can I pick two? Absolutely. Uh, so, so one, the, the really easy one is we live in London. I've lived here for more than 20 years. The weather is London weather, but today it feels like Miami weather. So it's uh, that's a great way to, to start the day with some sunshine. The, the, the professional win is we... we so we're... Yeah, we've, we've launched a company called Lendex, a fintech startup last year. The win this week, one of the wins there this week uh, is around marketing branding. So we, we're spending a lot of time with a creative agency and and we, we picked a new name, picked the whole new branding literally uh, today, this morning. So um, I can't say much about it, but so the, the Lendex name will, will change, but super excited about that. That's very cool. We try to yeah, rebrand ourselves. <laughs> you're, you're speaking my language. I, I spent a lot of my career doing marketing and branding work, so I'm, I'm oh, excited to uh, see the new branding when when it's ready to be revealed. Yep, it's exciting. I mean, if we talk about careers, right? There's so much that goes into that, uh, and we we were wowed by what the guys built so far. And, and then they said to us, "Well, it's a bit rough at this stage. So give us time. Not that you've chosen which one will will make it look better." And, we thought, wow, okay, if this is rough, then we're really excited to see the next phase. There is also something that's really nice about ha having a, a product or a service or a company that you've worked and you've put so much time and effort to finally have kind of the right front end on it in terms of what yep. your customers and, and consumers will ultimately see so that it re really reflects all the hard work and thought that you've put into the, the work. I have nothing to say about this topic because Sean did all of our branding and marketing for us. <laughs> all right, well, we'll move on. We can talk marketing. Exactly That'll be a that separate, <laughs> yeah, separate episode all about marketing <laughs> and Python. <laughs> so Kelly, why don't you go next? Oh, okay. So mine's a quick win. I started back doing a learning path. Something that Sean and I always talk about is the constant learning that we have for ourselves and our growth in, in a topic. I know Sean's been learning a lot with AWS and the cloud. And I kind of went on a holding pattern. 
So last night, in uh, light of the Pie Bites launch of their free uh, 10 Bites, Bob and Julian, you guys owe us a, a shout out for that. But in, in light of that, they, they launched 10 free fast API Bites. And I completed my first one. That one was really easy, by the way. The second one seems to be harder. But I'm going to start learning about fast API. Sean was talking about it a lot last year. And I know that you guys were really excited about the launch of those bytes. And yeah, I got a lot of learning going on. I figured if I'm going to teach about requests and the request library, I better know what an API is. So well, there and, you go. <laughs> and then you take it to the next level and have your own API that the students can use, right? So yes, better than dad jokes and um, Chuck Norris APIs that send out bad, <laughs> bad uh, things on your whiteboard. <laughs> yeah, a little control goes a long way. <laughs> <laughs> what about you? What was your win? I mean, it's, you know, honestly, my win this week was we have a new project manager coming on board with our team to help coordinate and and work with outside groups within the company that we need to, to work with. And we were kind of having this conversation about the direction that we should take. And, and I had some, I had a very strong opinion about how to make this all fit together and flow. And I was really worried about alienating this new person that was on the team with my strong opinion. So I was really careful about the way I, I described it and tried to really make sure that this person understood that I was coming at it from a place of let's make this super streamlined and effective and clear for everyone, including you know, you that like, this is all going to work together and be more seamless than what we've done in the past. And by the end of it, he was on board like, and he wanted to do it and, and wanted to, to do it in the way that, that I s proposed with his own additions and ways to make it even better. So I felt really good about that because I was a little nervous about going in and saying, this isn't going to work for me. Right. And, and here's how we should do it. And, and I wanted to be very careful about that. And, and that caution seems to have paid off because I think our relationship is stronger now as a result. It's a fine line when you come in with a preconceived idea and you know it's going to work because I know you, you're you're a uh, perfectionist, so you've thought through everything that could go wrong about an idea and then trying to win people over. Maybe it had to do with all your teaching skills. <laughs> Maybe. Yes. Maybe. <laughs> Any fails um, this week, Xavier? Any fails you want to share? You don't have to. That's optional. Oh God! It's it's generally a good week. You know, we're we're in the phase where we're building. Everything's everything's going according to plan. Actually, yeah. No, one. I, I would say one. So this is an interesting one for for uh, budding budding developers and entrepreneurs. Is we we we're we're somebody who signed a contract. So pretty important role actually within the company. Given we we're still an early startup, every hire was super important. Signed a contract last month and announced us yesterday, yesterday Monday that actually they just you know, they they they're not joining. They've been bid back by their bigger fintech company that they're working for um so it's one of these you don't attach too much attention to it so because there's a few other good candidates that 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 luckily we we also had to, to choose between so we we have re-engaged with them but it's yeah it's, it's one of these things that uh, when when you join a startup people don't seem to realize you know if you're employee number six seven whatever and you decide to make that choice it, it has a massive impact you know we, we, we working for merrill's that happened it is what it is but here it's you lose a month in, a, in an early stage startup it's it's not a, that, that would qualify as a loss in your definition i think yeah but then from those fails though you learn to readjust and and that's all about the what throws at you so you have that readjustment yeah. phase of learning and pivoting it's a huge skill that i think a lot of the times we try to teach 
as parents, as teachers about yeah. how do you pivot from something that really can set you back? And how do you change that pivot to something that is profitable, whether it's profitable with a grade or profitable with a, a learning yeah. expertise? It sucks. It's not great. It's really bad news. However, we had a shortest of great candidates. We go back to them. So you, it's, it's how you rebound from those setbacks, really. So don't waste time on it. It, it is what it is. Move on, move forward. That's really key. Oh, absolutely. And that's why we love our fails of the week because it is that a lightning experience. Sean, do you have fails this this week? Yeah, my <laughs> uh, my fail is a fence post. So not metaphorically, not uh, some software term that no one's heard of. It's literally a fence post. So this is and this has been going on for years. So on the side of my house, I have a, a fence that I put up when my kids were small so that um, they could go around and over the course of the years, like when I first put it in, it's beautiful. It's perfect, measured properly, swung freely, all of those things. And then my first fail came about, which is that apparently when I put it in, I put the fence post three inches over the property line into my neighbor's yard. And so when they went to go redo their fence, they offered to relocate the fence post. They moved it over. And now the gate didn't close because the fence post was in the wrong spot. And this was perpetually high on the honeydew list of when are you going to fix that fence? And I never got to it. I never got to it. And, and my wife being the take charge person that she is got a handyman to fix it. And he fixed it so that the gate will close. But now the fence post, because I had carefully and methodically sunk the fence post into a concrete footing in the yard <laughs> and he was unable to relocate it. He just cut the fence post off and moved it over a few inches and then screwed it down poorly with like a little bracket. So my fence post was wobbling back and forth and back and forth. He couldn't close the gate. <laughs> and so I was finally like, okay, I have to find a way to fix this. And my, my kludgy engineering mind designed and printed a 3d printed bracket that I could mount to the to the concrete footing and put the fence post in and have it stabilized. Well, it mostly works, so it is definitely more stable than it was before, but it's not perfect. It is good enough for now, but I at some point will probably have to reprint it and reattach it. You do um, realize you have it. to dig up all that concrete, right? Just throwing yes. that out there. Okay, just yes. letting you know. And, and that would be <laughs> fine, except for the fact that apparently I poured the concrete underneath my sprinkler lines for the yard. So getting it out, I have to be extremely careful. I can't just wail on it with a I, I know a good contractor, by the way. <laughs> okay, I'll have, to, I'll have to talk to him. Well, okay, so mine is actually work-related. <laughs> that was a funny one, though. So you, we talk about this a lot when we reflect. Sean and I have not had the reflective opportunity for my third quarter going into my fourth quarter class this year. And my, let's just say that, you know, not everything is always rosy as we sometimes make it to be. We do tell you that the fails do happen. Last quarter, I was blessed with some amazing coders that I taught for three years who were just everything I threw at them was, yes, bring it on, bring it on, bring it on. Well, this quarter's not so. Um, willing. And I'm having to pivot a little bit on some of my lessons that I even did in the beginning. And it's something that you do as a teacher. I wanted to just push forward and let's keep going. And we're going to talk about functions because this is where we're supposed to be. And Sean and I always have this conversation about, you know, it's the teacher who makes the curriculum, not the curriculum that makes the, the class. And so we might, you know, the teacher has to read the room. And I've got to 
And I've got a really large awakening coming up and a lot of back teaching to get them where I want them to be. So it's a huge fail. (laughs) And this is the tough part of the year too, though. You're in the fourth quarter. It's the last part of the year. Students become less and less engaged from this point, which is natural. They want to get to summer. But you're also in that like couple weeks stretch right before the school's spring break. So I think I'm just going to play Minecraft for the rest of the year. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it works for me, right? And there's a lot Minecraft you can learn from or Minecraft. Twilio. <laughs> yep. Twilio game. Oh my goodness. But anyways, that's enough. We're pivoting. I'll let you know how it happens next next podcast, how it's going, and we'll get on with that. So shift happens. Sean, you want to talk about our, our follow-up series? Sure. So continuing with the last couple of episodes around data science and cybersecurity, what we wanted to do is talk to people in industry who are working in jobs that really didn't exist or didn't look this way even 10 years ago. So at the time that the Shift Happens video came out, which I think was about 2004, 2005 was the original, Mm -hmm. and then there was like a reboot in 2008, they were talking about how a lot of the jobs that were coming don't actually exist currently, like that they didn't exist at the time. And we're seeing this as more of an ongoing trend. It wasn't just a one-time thing in the 2000s where future jobs were going to be created. If you think about where we were 15 years ago in 2007 and 2008, many of the jobs that, that exist today were not even conceived yet, or they were very nascent in their early states. So that's why we wanted to bring in uh, Xavier to talk about fintech in particular, because this is an area that has just particularly exploded over the last 10 years. I mean, many of the hottest startups right now are in these areas that we've talked about, cybersecurity, data science, and I would say the trifecta now is bringing in fintech to talk about the opportunities there. And before, I mean, not to steal much of Xavier's thunder, but one of the things that I've been particularly impressed with fintech is that it's not just the kind of traditional boring parts of finance that have been revolution revolutionized by technology. There's some really interesting things that are happening in this space with everything from micro lending and bringing more services to uh, financial services to people in developing countries that just weren't even possible without technology. And so that's why this area is particularly interesting and exciting is because it is, it is really disrupting not just the technology space, but also the finance space. So that's hopefully my my good lead up to introducing uh, Xavier and, and having him give a little bit of, of background about his work and, and how he sees the fintech space. But Xavier, is there anything to add to that or things that you've seen over the last few years with... with no, no, I think it's a great intro. I mean, there's... there's there's a huge amount to, to to say about fintech, which which in and of itself already, you know, is 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 is, is great because to your point, ten probably ten years ago, uh, fintech was was kind of just in its infancy. We I I left Merrill's in in two thousand nine, started a a challenger bank, which became a digital challenger bank very quickly. Uh, so in in you know two thousand ten eleven. We we started seeing you know companies like Wealthfront, Betterment on on the wealth tech side in in US you know creating new models and, and and that became very you know if you, if you look today if the, what is fintech is very difficult to define you 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 have now many different silos in 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 the space so you have wealth tech you have the, all the payments you have uh, rec tech you have insure tech so all the verticals are are being targeted by by innovation if you like so can i, mean, I can i ask a yep. question real quick yeah. so wealth tech i'm assuming that's like investment 
<laughs> sorry. So, so, sorry. Yes, there's a whole new language that came out with it's, that as well. I feel like I'm learning another coding language here. Back up. <laughs> so, so let, let me take a step back. Let me take a second. So, well, first of all, let me throw out a number. Right, 2021. Every uh, for, for every five dollars invested in in, in venture capital uh, or in, invested by venture capital firms in, into into private companies, one one out of five was in in fintech. So it's it's a huge. A part of, of 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 that market, we're talking about 132 billion dollars invested in in the space. There are a bunch of huge names out there who have attracted a lot of that money. So it's it's pretty kind of concentrated in in the success stories. Lately, some of those success stories have, have certainly the IPO'd ones have have seen prices drop right in the stock markets. But but still, it it, it just gives you a, a sense of of the the huge size of this. And that means also, you know, how did it start? It started by I'm I'm com- coming to your question, Kelly. It, it started by <laughs> You know, a bank, the bank is by, by definition a super complex entity, many different facets to it, shielded by regulation, opacity and, and whatnot, which meant that there were huge margins in there. And then, you know, clever people started thinking, hold on a second, I can do you know, payments. I can do payments way better than a bank. That, that's that's where it really started, right? Or I can do transfer, cross-border transfers. And so people unpicked a tiny part subsector of of what a bank or a financial sector does, and so that it started. And so now you can look at it as as vertical. So there's the payments, there's the wealth tech, anything to do with investments, wealth management, whatnot, insurance companies, which are you know kind of financials as well. So there's the insure tech. There's a lot of regulation stuff. So the reg techs, regulatory technology companies, not not only in 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 the in the fintech space, but largely in the fintech space and and you know you, there's a whole host of of these verticals um, now and so if you look at it just a, a bit of history right 2010 the fintechs were trying to steal the lunch of of the banks it was it was heads on you know certainly on the b2c side right we will compete and take clients five years later it was mm, actually that doesn't work that easily why don't we team up you know fintechs working together with Banks and banks are particularly bad at, at pivoting, you know, to, to, at being agile, etc. Or l- large companies in general, but but certainly regulated banks even even more so. So there was a there was a good way of, of working together. Okay, you guys are, you know, we, we are the, the 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 kind of oil tanker that that's going in a direction difficult to turn it, and around it you have a lot of speedboats, uh, which are the fintechs. And if one of the speedboats gets traction, just you know, onboard it, bring it in into the mothership, and and that helps the mothership, you know become well either become more efficient or it kills the innovator which which it depends on how well you integrate so so that that's that's really you know on on, on the fintech side a kind of you know uh, kind of competition working together and today i think more and more of that is happening and so where where probably the the most visible things in terms of fintech are there's a lot of b2c stuff those are the you know the the success stories. You see them because they are very. It's a proper you know, hockey stick growth, right? And you see the one or the, the the few winners. You don't see the thousands of of guys that that don't make it. The B two C stuff, uh, so the B two B stuff rather is is less visible. I mean, as the, you know, PayPal now everybody knows what PayPal. But if you think about it initially, it was something powering. You know, there's, there's a bunch of companies powering your payments, which the, the average consumer just never sees. But they are multi-billion companies now. What what I find interesting is we've gone from you know people picking a niche to do that that little niche better, gaining traction, but then and, and the consumer expecting from all, all the other sectors, right, in e-commerce and, and everything else, they're being bombarded with fantastic uh, UX, UI, uh, user experience, and u- user interface um, type of type of fantastic experiences, and that they're expecting the same thing in banks. And so the fintechs try to be. You know, more client-centric, more transparent, better 
customer experience in general, you know, which, which is not just the in, the interface, but but also just the, the full customer experience. The, the challenge that that then has happened over the few the, the, the more recent years is well, I have I don't know how many how many apps on my phone. And do I want to really open one app for the payment, one app for my investment, one app for... And so you, you can see some some rebundling. So initially, there was a complete unbundling, and now you see a, a partial rebundling. If I look at what we're... we're so we're building still called Lendex, where we're rebrand next next month, so I can't, can't tell you yet. But we're building Lendex, which is a, a B2B SaaS. Actually, it's a SaaS-enabled marketplace, but let's focus on this really... What's a Sorry, SaaS? software. Okay. Software as a service. So, so we, you, you mentioned AWS, and so, so we can we can go into a bit more detail uh, on on that. But so we 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 are building a software as a service, and and so this is not just in fintech, right? But before, let's say, I don't know, twenty years ago, certainly a core banking system. So the the massive system on which a bank was running was typically on prem on on premise. It was something that you downloaded on your whatever on your service. Now. Uh, I still know a few banks running like that, but most most of the banks are are running on a on a on a cloud type based system, right? Which is which is essentially a, a software as a service or a platform as a service. So I want to stop right there because I want to kind of summarize for everything and some okay. some of our listeners from our teachers because I'm just putting this perspective and just because I've known you forever, so it's it's like this ever and ever. No. So this idea and this is the thing that blows my mind and I think as an educator who's been in who's been teaching for forever, you know we we had bankers bankers went to the bank they mm. they worked in the bank and the money came to the bank and they played on the excel spreadsheets and they did their little number crunching on excel spreadsheet they shared their excel spreadsheets and print out 20 pages of excel spreadsheets and that was literally the life in 2003 4 5 6 7 right i mean yep. everything was done there it was when the shift started happening and the computers started coming where we said oh no right is that kind of summarize? Yeah, in a, in a it, nutshell. <laughs> yeah, I, I think so because and 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 you've seen that in other sectors first. So so that's that's the important bit is that you know you were buying your clothes or your whatever in in, in shops. Then all of a sudden Amazon shows up and and a bunch of other websites who or, or apps who that that gave you a whole different consumer experience and then people looked at their bank and they said well, i still have to go to my bank between 10 a.m and 4 p.m and and in person and sign a bunch of papers and you know why mm-hmm. and so that again this is the b2c part which is easier to explain but on the b2b part or on the capital market space it was the same thing you have to know that until today so when, when we built our digital challenger bank we, we built a a large kind of um corporate lending business you know what we call the leverage loan space so Loans to companies owned by private equity companies. That that market today, 2022, the borrower can reset their their loan. How do they do that today? They send a fax. Okay, the fax now arrives in your inbox, but we, we were on the desk receiving emails, which is here's a fax re- request to to reset the loan. It's it's it, it's insane. So there there are still some of these things which have not been, you know, modernized enough. Um, but that's a question of time. So when you look at that and, and your example of the spreadsheet is the same thing. So what, what we are building is is actually in, in that lending space, you know, it, it, people granting loans to, to corporates. How does that happen? It happens, you know, a lot of the time still in Excel. There's a bunch of Excel files living in different places. There's there's data, there's documents living in different places, commu- you know, communications through email, through WhatsApp, through through all sorts of... And so when, when these businesses try to grow, 
the, the scalability isn't there operationally, the security around the, the, the data, et cetera, the standardization around data. And so when these businesses want to talk to the capital markets to raise funding, to, to, to be able to grant a, lo a lot more credit to a lot more corporates, the institutional investors look at it and say, well, you know, we, we don't know if you guys can, can scale this, if it's secure for us to, to funnel money through you to, to, to borrowers. Uh, so we're we're building that as a as a as a software as a service. So so you know you mentioned APIs. So this 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 whole thing will be API. Well, is API based. It's it's a software as a service that you can deploy onto. So if you are a non-bank lender, or if you are a, a neo bank, if you're a credit fund granting credits to corporates, you you take this full vertical stack that that we're building, and and your entire backend, you know, back office, middle office, servicing of all these loans, all that is done in, in one single platform. So your data is centrally stored and, and it's an innovation in that space, which which hasn't seen a lot of innovation so far. And, I want to add uh, a dimension to this, Xavier, that I think is, is really important and, and doesn't probably get enough attention, which is the scale factor of mm -hmm, working mm -hmm. in finance. As you described, it's a, a clear understanding of I have services, I have transactions, I have things. But one of the things that people overlook is the sheer volume of transactions that happen both on the B2C and B2B spaces, yep. where not only are we talking about hundreds of millions, if not billions of financial transactions daily going through all of these systems around the world, you also have the layer of all the B2B transactions, you know, resetting loans or changing investment mixes or even buying and selling if you're doing trading on investments. That can happen and success is measured in nanoseconds for a lot of those transactions. And then you also then multiply that by the complexity of all these financial institutions integrating and working together and communicating. And that's where we start to see that this is something that previously was only really tackled by the big banks, by the big organizations that had a lot of capital resources and and leverage to be able to implement these things and because of the the rise of cloud and platform as a service and tools like python now startups are able to enter this space and be disruptive because a startup can scale to the level of say a bank of america in their area and be yep. able to handle that volume of transactions and as long as it remains profitable the scale factor is there and yeah. I, before you answer that, I want to sidestep because this is Sean hits on a point, and this is something I want to think about when before you answer your question. So a lot of times when we're teaching code to sixth, seventh, and eighth graders, and even you know sometimes younger, why are we doing this? And that scalability, we teach them here's your data set of ten numbers. Now we're going to go through a for loop and have fun, and they're like, yeah, well I could do that with my calculator. And I don't, it, it, people, kids don't understand that scalability. Like when we're, when we're pulling, pulling JSON files off of, off of request library, you know, using the request library, I'm pulling tiny amounts of data, but we're talking like, like Sean said, a large amount. And that's where this like teachable moment comes in about why code is so important in the banking industry in the, you know, cybersecurity. So Go back on the scalable go. <laughs> yeah, no, but so scalability. I mean, yeah, this is what technology ha has brought, right? It, it's it, you can you can scale almost infinitely. I mean, it, it, again, if it used to be, and especially now, you mentioned again, you mentioned AWS or or you can or Azure or whichever cloud you want to talk about, but that, that, that gives you kind of infinite power to to process whatever you want. On the scaling point, I mean, 
I'll, I'll give an example which I lived through, which is which is actually a small example because part of the bank that we built, the one that I ran as as a CEO was in Belgium, so a relatively small country, but but still there within, I think within three years, starting from zero. We, we built a digital bank with online investments and savings and whatnot, but the investment platform was was deemed as, yeah, I don't want to say the best, but probably one one of the best um, in in the country. This is you know, and 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 I was explaining this to a bunch of students actually. They said, well, you know, how? I said, yeah, you have to think about it. In from in three years, from zero to being one of the best platforms to to invest into usage funds. And to your point, Sean, you, we managed to scale that so quickly through technology by by being agile also because we you know we focused on let let's build that better than anybody else, and we didn't have to deal with the the one thousand other things that a normal bank has to deal with. So it's, you can be really focused uh, on on doing one thing extremely well. What I would add to that is is in terms of scaling, what's What's new, certainly the last five years, is there are a number of things that have been built already. So fintech revolution, if you like, or evolution has been happening for, for like, you know, a decade or slightly more. It means that, for example, today we are building a full vertical stack. So, so most of these platforms go, go really wide. They build a system that can be applicable to many different things or many different sectors, many different applications. We, we turn it around. We go deep in, into the vertical. So we, we're not going wide. We just want to do everything for lending operations, etc. We don't need to build everything ourselves anymore. So we, we, we need something that builds the, the, the schedule for a loan. If I grant a loan, what are the payments, principal interests? What are the terms of this loan? How does that project in time? Well, we, we're building on a core banking system called Mambu. It's one of the new banking as a service platform. So everything is now as a service, right? Bank as a service, software as a service, you know, lending as a service. It's, it's all, uh, you just plug in the cloud and, and go. But but that means we we are building this thing in six months. We will have an MVP live, which will have bank grade infrastructure. We're using another company called Modular, which will enable us to open bank accounts for every borrower and every loan, instantly reconcile payments, etc. And so what we're building in six months would have probably taken us three years if had we started five years ago, because we, we, we would have to, had to build all of this ourselves. So then the question is, what skill, you know, if, given the, the, the context here, right, what, what skill do you need or what, what are we really adding in terms of value? It's domain knowledge. I've been in the space and the sector for more than 20 years, so I understand what I need. I understand what are the really good components that exist. Then you need to integrate them together put your own layer on top of it, not just API, right? But we're literally, while well, we're using Stitch, Snowflake, a bunch of other things where we, we're literally stitching these things together really efficiently so that the end user has a completely seamless experience, looks at this and says, wow, this is one platform, I can do everything here. Not knowing that behind the scenes, you know, you mentioned API as well, you know, there's <laughs> API integration up to our eyeballs. All this, all this has to work really seamlessly, right? Really that's, a, that's a very interesting skill set. So every developer and coder says, oh, I know what he's talking about, Stack Overflow. Now, <laughs> so <laughs> coders, coders go and buy, oh, that piece of software and that library yeah. and that piece of code. So it is, it's stuff that, and I mean, from a Python person, you know, that's mm -hmm. what that's what makes things so great because you can pick and choose and you put your own flair 
onto things to make it personal. So yeah. you might have code that someone else wrote, or you'll have a package, or you'll have some other, like you were saying, modular tech side, and it is putting it in in your own way to package it. Mm. See, it makes sense. I know fintech now. I can work in the job career. <laughs> I, 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 I would go a step a step further, right? And, and and if you look at the large core banking systems, but even but lo- the large CRM, right? The customer relationship management systems. Um, you know, take a Salesforce. Salesforce is a great example. It's uh, again, it lives in the cloud. Well, you, yeah, it, yeah, no, you can do it, but no, it lives in the cloud. It's there, native. Then you can integrate a bunch of things into it, which you would have needed big teams to, to do that. Now those teams sit within within Salesforce, and so they have what what I would call I don't, I don't know what they call it exactly, but I call it it's like an app store, where if you say, well, I've got my CRM, but I need a you know know your customer application, I need a payment application, I need a whatever. And they, they basically have a list. You, so you go onto their website, you say, I, I need this. They give you 10 names and it's it's almost drag and drop, right? So, and, and which which actually leads me to another. Yeah, so I'm, I'm wondering, I, I think when I say drag and drop, if, if you, if we take a step back and you sit that, if, if I had to take my job at Merrill Lynch, which I started 20 years ago, again, I would need to know how to code in Python. I'm, I'm pretty sure. I, I would not stand a chance otherwise to, to get in because uh, knowing Excel and VBA and whatever, yeah, that's that's nice. But you can you can do now so much more. So people certainly in quantitative roles, and, and mine was was semi quant. You would need that. W- what I'm really interested in is is so on the one hand, I would tell everybody listening, learn Python because it it gives you a job. It gives you more probability of 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 getting the job. On the other hand, there's one thing which I'm really interested in is, is there's this uh, rise of the no-code platforms. And so there are a bunch of people who are coding, going into these large groups and saying, well, your bankers should be banking, they shouldn't be coding. So here's a tool where you can literally drag and drop a few things and, and create code without actually coding. Uh, and so I'm, I'm wondering if, if that really works extremely well, then you won't need to know Python anymore. But then, yeah, I, I still, I mean, the, the guys <laughs> Some that Some people I, do. They, they already have a, so we met a kid who created when he was, what was he, 14, 15? 13, I think. Yeah. 13, created a drag and drop block program for Python. Wow. One His reasoning was not because people, you know, everyone needs to code block code, but it was because he was lazy and he didn't want to type, right? All developers and all, all coders, I always tell this, we're lazy. If we have to do something twice, then you know we're going to find a way to make it so we only have to do it once. If it takes us even, so, you know, in Sean's case, a couple of months to do something that will save him time 20 years down the road, he's going to do it because developers and coders don't want to do things the hard way. So I can see how how coders, how you would have now a banking system, because the last thing we want to do is listen to a banker go, but I need this little piece. Well, here's your block. You pick yeah. a block. <laughs> Let it yeah. go. No, no, no. C- completely. It, it makes sense. You don't want to do the same thing all over again. So if, if you, you build it once, you can then drag and drop it across. We, we had a, so, so when I was at, at this wealth management asset manager firm, there was, there was a young guy there on, on, on the trading desk who came in and who said, hey, why you're the head of innovation. Why don't we teach everybody how to, to work with Python? Because you know, I see people sending mailing lists, you know, sending email one by one. If you spend two hours doing a, a bit of Python code, that, that will be done at the push of a button. You have an, an, a list of names and addresses and boom, boom, boom. And then and I looked at him. I said, "Yeah, you know, you can do that. Some some people can do that, but impossible to get the whole uh, the whole bank to 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 subscribe to that." And, but I think if if you if you join a bank or any company really in the financial sector, there's you know to your point, Sean, there's there's 
huge scale, huge amounts of numbers, data sets. So if you're investing, there's historical data that you need to look at and all, all sorts of you know, financial data. It's, it's just numbers everywhere. So getting getting codes to to scale that is is, is crucial. Yeah. yeah, and I think it's like you, you brought up a great point with the no code movement that this is really indicative of a profound shift in mindset within mm-hmm. not just the fintech area or finance, but across many industries which is what's really important, right? Like what, what are the important things for doing your, your job at creating value for your company? Yeah. Um, and, and I think it really goes to show you 20 years ago, we would have told people get really good at using Excel. If you want to go into finance, right? Use the, use all the tools, use all the plugins, learn some VBA, like optimize it. But where we're moving to is now this world where data is flowing. It doesn't just go from uh, a database into your Excel spreadsheet where you can manipulate it and then you can send it out. It's flowing from place to place. The data is changing. It's constantly updating. And the skills and the things that are valuable are the ability to access that data, to be able to to manipulate it and reintroduce it and pipe it to other places, whether that's through Python code or no code or C sharp or whatever it is your, your platform is, it's that connection to other systems and flowing the data to where it needs to go. And I, I think what we're really getting at is yes, you could have a career in finance using Excel and you can still be that, you know, extremely proficient and create value, but, if you wanted to really set yourself apart, being able to embrace that mindset shift in the way that we perform our work and the way that we do it can set you above and beyond your peers when it comes to your ability to, mm. to make things happen. T- totally. I, I mean, I, I would really challenge that you can start in, in finance without basic skills in code. I just don't see it. I, I would challenge that. Certain roles probably you, can, you still can, right? But but it's become really, really important. What you said on data is is really interesting right there's two points i would make one, one is on the live data i'll give an example of what we're building and then that, that segues very quickly into DeFi and and blockchain types of stuff right where, where data is is just well you know all over the place i mean that in a positive way right it just doesn't sit in in one place but on, on live data so to give you an example again what we're working on you grant a loan you do financial analysis of a company as you underwrite the credit risk of that company that's done, it used to be done based on audited accounts, which are by definition six months old. Well, now we plug into a company like Kodat uh, or, or Validis. There's a few of these companies in Europe, uh, in the UK. They plug themselves into a bunch of digital accounting packages like Xero and, and so on, and they aggregate. So, so our clients using our technology can suck all uh, the, the accounting data from these companies and, and then do a live credit assessment of you know, today's data, which is very different from punching in numbers into an Excel sheet and, and, and seeing what that does, right? So that, that in, in terms of quality of data is one thing. Then in terms of, if you think about that, we're storing all that data into one data lake, massive data architecture there. That, that's a whole different job. That, that's really super interesting with a, a tool that can visualize directed data out of that. If I take a step back and I say, what we're doing is we're taking financial data, we're storing it centrally, we're, we're standardizing it, we're making sure it's live connected and, and accessible by all the stakeholders. So by the board, or the lender originator, by the investors, by, by the lawyers, by everybody. Okay, well, I, I pretty much describe the blockchain, right? We, we don't describe ourselves as Web3 or DeFi type of uh, lending platform. But if I look at what we're doing, we're essentially enabling 
the, the digitalization or, or tokenization of loans of, of any credit that, that we would have on our platform because we we standardize the data. So you, you ultimately, you've, you've got a metadata sitting there, which you then can shoot off in, into any direction and somebody can then you know, split it up and, and tokenize it, uh, do, do whatever they want with it. That's an interesting segue. That technology is super interesting. I think there's a, a lot of buzz around that. And there's a lot of, uh, what's the polite word, a lot of nonsense being uh, this, you know, uh, talked about that. If you look at the currencies themselves, that's that's a different topic. I, you know, I, I find it still quite speculative. I, I still don't really understand what drives the supply, demand, etc. But the underlying technology is, is, is super interesting. If you If you think about innovations you know you go and browse on this on the site let's say you're on the amazon website and you want to buy um, a, a home trainer bike or, or something and well you know people like Klarna are now embedding credits in those e-commerce platforms the next step is to have that in your browser so why have it embedded in the website no you, it, this can live just in your browser and the browser should know who you are and, and give you kind of personalized financing options that's scary browser knowing who you are I mean, they already know who you are, but I just think of all the stuff that can happen once we, we shift and that goes back into the fact of the, the strength of and the need of cybersecurity and how you embed a lot of the fact into that. So I don't yeah, mean to cut you off short. I don't mean to cut you off short because we're coming to, and there's so much more. I told you this always happens. Time flies when we get together. But I have like about five more minutes. So I'm going to let Sean ask a question if he has a question because I know he yep. has some good questions. The biggest question I have is, this is a tremendously exciting space. And I've never been one who was like, wow, finance, that's my jam, right? Like that, I was always the marketing guy and, <laughs> and systems and everything. But it's fascinating how many different factors go into this and all of the different pieces and the new offerings, uh, the way that the whole ecosystem of fintech is growing. If, if you had one piece of advice for someone who was maybe like, you know, a student who is skeptical about finance, like, why would I go into finance? That sounds boring. What's the piece of advice that you have for them that might give them a little bit of direction or spark their interest in this space? I say I love finance. That, that's why I'm, I'm in that space. So I, I have to try and make abstraction of that. So nothing to do with the space, but the, some of the things that the statistics I mentioned before, that there's a huge amount of capital flowing into this, which is driving a huge amount of innovation and, and change. And, and that in and of itself is super exciting, right? You come into a space that frankly is still catching up with, with other parts of, of the economy and, and the world in terms of innovation. That's pretty cool. You can literally start doing things in a completely different way. And actually, if you take that further, the things we touched on earlier, DeFi, so decentralized finance, Web3, the technology underlying the cryptos, entirely new business models, financial models are being created. God knows where it will go, but j just in terms of cryptos, and I, I don't like talking about the cryptos themselves, but you know, there's roughly $2 trillion of, of new value that's been created. If you take all the cryptos that exist uh, today, what they're valued at, it's roughly from nothing to $2 trillion, This thing has just mushroomed. So it's, it's a space which, which is evolving at such a speed that it's really, really interesting. We used to think about finance as, you know, you go to the bank. Um, today, finance has become embedded. So it's, it's no longer, I need a loan, I need the payment. So if you think about the boring parts of, of finance, there's still plenty of, you know, quote unquote, boring technical stuff to be done. I love doing that, so I'm, I'm in there. But if you think of the other stuff, the, the user experience, how can you make a, a shopping experience seamless? It's the Amazon shops that build bricks and mortar shops where you walk in, walk out, grab your stuff, and a payment has happened. 
that's pretty cool. That's almost magical, right? You uh, Somehow the shop knows who you are and has debited your account, your, your card, why well, there's no more cards. For me, it's, it's that. It's changing the way we, we, we do things intrinsically in our lives, which happen to be linked to, to your financial part. Uh, you could do something similar in the health sector or, or whatever, but the finance sector is certainly a, a really interesting option and, and not just boring financial stuff. <laughs> the other really interesting thing too, because it's so centered now, a lot of the innovation is centering on the customer experience, whether that's yeah. a, an end user or a bank or another yeah. fintech, it's ripe for disruption and it doesn't mean that you need to have a tremendous financial background to think about how things could be better from a user's perspective, right? Uh, It helps, it helps, but you can think about it in terms of this process of paying for something is not ideal. How could I make it better and actually come up with a viable service? Uh, When I built the Challenger Bank, what was great is I came from a capital markets background and I worked together with the UX, UI creative uh, guys. And and so I've, I've grown to really love that space. And you're right, they typically don't really like or understand or have any affinity for the technical stuff. But those skills are important because you need a user experience that is wow, right, to attract your users. That's the great part of any digital experience, but also the fintech experience. Yeah. I'm going to plug real quick before you go. So for people like me who's only taken calc and never took stats, because Sean always talks about stats when and coding, I don't know those. Jose Portilla has a really good finance course on Udemy. Sometimes he plugs it in for a, a nice 21 something dollars, but it is a, a expensive course. But if you check it out, we'll put the link in the show notes. I started it. Lots of pandas, lots of numpies, lots of lots of lots of Python basics. So nice. Sean, go ahead. <laughs> nice. All right. Well, we're, we're going to wrap it up here. There's obviously plenty more to talk about when $1 out of every five is going into VC investments <laughs> in fintech. There's a lot going on here. We're going to wrap it up and save more of the conversation for another time. But if you'd like to chat more with us about this, you can always reach out to us on Twitter, Teaching Python. You can also reach out to us through our website at teachingpython.fm. We'll uh, post contact information for Xavier, if he's willing, on our show notes as well. So you can reach out to him if you have questions or want to learn more about what is currently known as Lendex and will shortly be known as something new and more and even more exciting in the near future. But before we go, I did want to say thank you, Xavier, for joining us. It's been... Uh, uh, really fun to talk to you. And, you know, if you'd asked me 10 years ago, if I would enjoy having a conversation about finance, I would have said no. But now this is the hottest, coolest thing going in the technology space. Welcome to the dark side. <laughs> All right. So for Teaching Python, this is Sean. And this is Kelly signing off.